0: Welcome to Boot at the Gas My name is Rick Archer and my guest today is Laurie Moore in person. Um, We're out at the Science and Non-Duality Conference in California. Outdoors, obviously, you're going to hear a jet or two going over maybe. Um, I interviewed Laurie about a year ago and uh, we exchanged a few emails before I came out to the conference and she indicated that her thinking had evolved over the course of a year and that you know we might want to have a conversation while we're out here i probably will be doing two or three other interviews while we're out here also so you'll be seeing those so Lori, welcome thank you thanks for (laughs) driving over um so what's changed in the past year
1: well you know when i spoke to you last my main message and my main invitation to people was simply to return to this depth of love this depth of peace this depth in which there can be a resonance and experience of the connectedness of all and everything and fundamentally i still feel that's what we're called back to what we yearn for and to be so focused on that that it overlooks the reality of the many other aspects of consciousness that we have to operate in to live in at this time is a bit of a oversight, or a bit of an escape, or a bit of a denial. And so now, when people are coming to dialogue with me, and they want assistance, or they want help, and they're really pointing to some aspect of consciousness in which they're revolving, in which they're living, I tend to just value whatever aspect of consciousness they're experiencing, and go from that point.
0: So you're saying that, Earlier on, you were focusing on the kind of the unmanifest quality to the exclusion of the manifest, and now you've you're, you're broadened your your fo- your kind of a territory so to speak, yeah. to incorporate the whole gamut the whole range more fully more so. yeah. yeah this is actually a, a, a traditional hang up i 've been discovering because um, it 's one of the themes that comes up frequently in interviews and uh, so i 've you know looked at it from different angles there. Even back in the Upanishads, there's some verse in the Chandogya Upanishad, I think, where uh, some sage says to someone, you know, this Brahmin of yours is only one-footed. In other words, you're, you've only kind of like grokked the, the absolute value of it and you haven't really incorporated the full range. And I think it's something that's... Um, endemic in the non-dual community these days and it's also something that many non-dual teachers such as jeff foster and Bentinho massaro and others have kind of progressed through and then out of
1: yeah well we we obviously live in many states of consciousness both as individuals and ourselves Mm -hmm. and how we participate and cooperate with each other and right now Probably a lot of us are rethinking about our overall government system of how we participate with each other. Um, what have we bred from our choice to be a capitalistic society? And I'm not here really to comment on capitalism or socialism, I have my own views, but, but we have to look at what have we bred you know, from what we've chosen. And if spirituality becomes something that we need to separate ourselves in a community or separate ourselves solo or deny a lot of what's going on around us, what good does it do? If it doesn't bring us back to kindness and an intelligence that evolves us into a system that's serving everybody, what's the point?
0: Yeah. So you're saying spirituality is not a sort of a pie in the sky sort of thing. It has pragmatic application, or it should. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah.
1: and I I found with myself that when I was in a lot of states of oneness, when that grace had taken me there, it it consumed me, and I felt that's all that mattered. Mm -hmm. But it didn't fully meet challenges that came to me in my personal life that I had to attend to. Mm -hmm. And so I said, hey, you know, wait a minute. There's kind of a humbling about that. People are in all kinds of situations and need to focus on, as I was saying, the consciousness in which they are needing to operate, in any moment. In a whole day you might have to be in different states of consciousness. So, When we start to idealize spirituality and talk about oneness or unconditional, there's many moments during the day when that's not where we are. Mm-hmm. And when we're challenged by certain interactions or situations, whether they're personal or societal or family. And, and then, what is so important is how do we work with the oneness state, that deep oneness state, and the reality of duality, that's that's included?
0: Would you say that um, it's not an either-or situation, that it's not like you have to be either in oneness or dealing with practical matters, but you can, and this is sort of a leading question, because obviously, obviously this is what I believe, but, that you can integrate and stabilize oneness and uh, enjoy that state? And well, no, no, There's a verse in the Gita that says, um, yoga star kuru, kuru karmaṇi, which means established in yoga, which means oneness, yeah. perform action. Yes. So established in it, not like enjoy it for a while, lose it, and, and get into action, but living yeah. living in yeah. oneness, yeah. do what needs to be done.
1: Yes, and that's always for me. That's always been the goal to to deepen, to deepen, and then to bring that out into the world, into the service, into mm-hmm. the interaction in which I live. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, I'm going to be interviewing Llewellyn Von lee later this m- like next month, I guess, and he's written a book about spiritual ecology. And at the last uh, Sand Conference, there was this sort of interesting dialogue that took place between two other teachers. Um, I guess I guess, won't name names at this point. But you know, one of them was saying, "The world is an illusion." You know, what is it? What is what ec- ecological issues don't really interest me. And the other guy was saying. They've got to interest you, you know, I mean, (laughs) it's important, you know, and we shouldn't use non-duality as a way of, you know, de-emphasizing critical problems, and in fact, I think this is going to be Loyland's point in that interview, in fact, spiritual awakening may very well be the critical component that can bring solutions to these problems, ultimately.
1: For me, I always was interested in the world, I was interested in ecology, I was interested in cross-cultural relations and world peace, and and I was always based in a, a deeper place that felt like the foundation. And certainly, there's a, a perspective and a seeing that I see a lot of the time where I see everything's just floating by, we're all imagining, we're giving value to things that have no value, we're, we're passing through, all that's happening is some sensations, some motions and sounds. And in the depth of my heart, I experience that as true, and I participate in a world where everyone's affected. And if everyone's not eating, something's wrong with the whole group. If everyone's not getting good health care, something's wrong with the whole group. If it's destroying the plants and the animals so that the earth no longer is in a harmonious existence, we have problems. And so I would say, like you, that as more and more people return to this deeper state in the heart, to this place of unconditional, we have Solutions that can come that we don't even know yet. Mm-hmm. That to live more in a question of not knowing is a really great thing. I've been in so many spiritual communities where where this deep peace is valued and then I observe horrible behaviors, like cutthroat behaviors. So I'm thinking, well what's the point of this if it's not kindness, if it's not yeah. <laughs> learning to respect one another? Yeah. yeah.
0: Huh. What's that who what was it? John Dunn wrote that poem and the famous lines of You know, no man is an island, and then a little bit later, ask not for whom the bell tolls, it tolls for thee. Meaning, uh, if, like you just said, somebody's starving, somebody's being forced into prostitution, you know, as a child, or, you know, all these horrible things that happen in the world, it's, like it or not, ultimately we can't isolate ourselves from these things. Even if you think you're isolating yourself, it's actually you that that is happening to on some deep level.
1: Yes. And how we deal with all these challenges is really overwhelming and perplexing. And I know for myself many times I would wake up in the morning and say, you know, I don't know what to do about it all. Mm -hmm. And so, of course, we each have a role that we're drawn to. We don't know why it's a mystery. We end up doing actions and participating in a way unique to each of our personalities. Um, but we're part of this big system, and for me, I personally feel very challenged right now, by I am part of a big system. Yes, I would like to wake up every day and just meditate and share with people, <laughs> and I was doing that for a while, and then I said, Hey, I can't pay my bills, mm. <laughs> and so then I, did some, I went back to doing some, like, promotion, quote-unquote, and I didn't feel good about it. You know, I, I felt something inside me got a little more jaded because my mind was in a different place, but then I thought, well, I'm being really blatantly honest here on the, mm-hmm. on the internet because um, I'm assuming a lot of people go through this kind of thing. And then I thought, okay, well then, do I? I'll, I'll just go back. I'll, I'll keep praying and meditating that I just stay in the state. And you know, so many teachers say that will just guide you, and it will all be done. Well, that's not my experience, or many. Ex- I need to take care of myself in the world of duality. And mm-hmm. my wish would be for everyone to have that opportunity.
0: Mm. So sounds kind of like this is still a work in progress for you or have you resolved this to a certain to a great extent? Um,
1: the resolution it's a work in process. The resolution is a lot of humbling and forgiveness for the great imperfection of participating as a human.
0: Mhm. Um when it so you know you you mentioned that your your perspective shifted a lot in the past year. Was there some event or something which precipitated that, or was it just a kind of a natural, gradual, incremental maturation that, you know, just made it, you begin, it began to dawn on you? That this, this It
1: shifted because originally I wanted to take as much of the 12 months in silence. I had planned that.
0: For yeah, that. I remember you were saying that. Yeah. yeah, I had
1: planned it like a gift to myself, mm-hmm. and then so many things occurred that that wasn't it would have been kind of foolish to do that, I mm-hmm. had to tend to practical matters. Mm-hmm. But in that time, the beginning where I had some time in the lot of silence, I started to note different states of consciousness that I was cycling through. Mm-hmm. And one state was the first one that we've addressed. There's just all. There's, there's no word for it. There's no difference between me and that book and you and my thought. Then there is another state where there's creation. And there's an impetus and there's an intention. And then there's another state where words get added to that at a, as a mode of an expression. And then there's another state where you're a little lost because you've gone more into the words than the state. And then there's actions that come from the words and then you can just be really lost in all of that. Mm. Which can be fine. They're good people doing wonderful things in that mm-hmm. that that illusion. Um, and. And then I noticed the unconditional states, like the unconditional peace state and the unconditional joy state, it, like flavors. There were different mm. qualities within that. But then I said, what societies had really done well with each other, people who just went into the oneness state or people who were also perfecting a very practical states? And mm-hmm. so really valuing and thinking about Ken Wilber's work and how he, he pointed out how so all this is, is necessary. and and effects how evolution
0: occurs. Yeah. The thought that I keep coming back to as you're talking is that um, it, it doesn't have to be an either-or situation. That the, the name of the game really is to um, grow in the ability to um, simultaneously function on, in all these yeah. states or stage or levels, if we want to call them levels, uh, because each has its significance and its importance. Uh, and you know, dealing with certain specific practical matters or worldly problems or whatever is not a cop-out, it's not like if you're going to do that then you're not serious about non-duality or something. Uh, In fact, you know, it's, what was it, I think uh, Thoreau said, uh, you know, Go ahead and build castles in the air. That's where they belong. Just put foundations <laughs> under them. <laughs> you know, uh, so this you a know, non-dual state that we're all talking about, that this conference is about, is really the foundation. Yes. And um, you know, I, I totally. Well, oh, go ahead and respond to that. Um,
1: I one of my favorite mentors, Gangaji's invitation has already rung very true with me because no matter what I'm doing or how I'm serving or participating. When I, when I fully open myself to the sensational experience within that, it seems to just melt. It ta- mm-hmm. I'm back in the oneness, but I'm not removing myself from the participation. Mm-hmm. So, I would say that as we delve deeper into this foundational piece, that is the basis of us, and remain in the participation if that's our calling. Some people's calling is to remove themselves, and I support that 100%. We have to go with whatever we're called to. Um, we find that the fabric, the quality, the way in which we relate carries a deeper resonance of peace. But what I began to question for the first time this last year was does it carry a deeper resonance of kindness and cooperation and what's needed in duality? Because in duality, which does exist, we each have a separate ego and we each have the opportunity to keep noting what our own personality is stuck on or assuming for our own narcissistic needs. That's true of everyone. There's so many need after need out of subtle need that can affect what we believe is right or true. That's the invitation on earth, to keep letting more and more of that go, to keep noting more and more of that Mm -hmm. and uh, to to stay in a deepening place of, of the peace is a great it's a great opportunity
0: that we have. Well, there's quite a couple of questions in there. One is how do we stay there? Um, you know, because people find that they get caught up in worldly concerns and they lose it. You know, uh, and, and we're talking here about simultaneously being in that state while dealing with the worldly concerns. So, what ways have you found to kind of integrate and stabilize uh, the simultaneity of the depth and the surface values of life.
1: I started using prayer a lot more. I was mm-hmm. a natural meditator from childhood. I would just go into these deep states where I had to be in silence. I, I had no choice. I loved it. And I've always been like that. And meditation wasn't a practice, it's just what I love.
0: Just came naturally to you.
1: But prayer was what I need I felt was for me what I started using more and more this last year as the meeting point between any contradiction I could find. Basically just asking for help. Oh, now I'm really frustrated. I'm not at all what I'm preaching. Help!
0: <laughs> yeah. So by prayer, you sort of mean not just having the sort of the deep non dual awareness, but introducing specific intentions into that yeah. or specific desires or requests. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And have you found that fruitful?
1: I have. I have not found it to be as quiet and silent as just the simple meditation silent state that's so lovingly, wonderfully there to Mm -hmm. just drop into. But I have found it to be uh, raising me to a more honest level of what I'm not, and Mm -hmm. what in me is not at all that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, It's brought like just great joy and compassion for just about everyone, because a lot of judgments I had on myself, and when you have judgments on yourself, they get extended to others, even if quietly. Expectations kind of started to wilt. And I just saw, wow. I don't know who anyone is, I'm just here with each person in the moment, to see mm-hmm. what we are in this moment.
0: Mm. Interesting thing, um, you know, if, uh, if we pray, let's say, from surface level of the mind, then it's going to have a certain effect, like maybe, you know, to use an example from physics, like if you take a pebble and throw it, it's going to have a certain effect, but if you can pray from the deeper levels of the mind, or deeper levels of being, or whatever, uh, and those are intrinsically far more powerful. Uh, and so it's like taking, although this has a destructive implication, which is not what I intend, but you know, if, if you could unleash the, the sort of atomic or nuclear level of energy of that pebble, you know, it could probably fuel an entire city for a year or something, if <laughs> you could really extract all the energy from it. So, uh, I think what you're suggesting is that, you know, you've, you've since childhood had recourse to deep oneness level of awareness, whatever you want to call it, but uh, now you're, you've been kind of more intentionally entertaining desires or intentions on that deeper level, and thereby perhaps having much uh, having those be much more impactful than if you were just sort of entertaining at some surface level. No, not mean to put words in your mouth. Yeah, there.
1: I would say you're talking about the level of creation, mm-hmm. and I, I feel that what the adjustment for me was using my creation more for... Kind of just an accept, more of an acceptance of, okay, I had this idea. I was born in the 60s. I thought we were creating world peace. I don't even know what world peace is now. I thought in 2012 it was like we made mistakes and then we were going to solve it. Now that seems really simplistic to me. Mm. But somehow that's what I thought. And then I thought when Obama was elected, that was going to solve it. Like everyone was going to come forward with all these new Mm. solutions. So things didn't turn out as I planned. Yeah. And so I thought so it it took me back to um, okay, well, the only universe I can contribute to is the one i 'm standing in right now, and i I have no idea what this is this this earth, this enactment this time in history, and the whole giant all the planets solar systems, how it 's going to turn out, but that I had to operate more from rather than this expectation like we are going to have this happen mm-hmm. and created and we'll all love each other and Mm -hmm. everyone will be full of respect and goodness and um, just to, I have no idea except now. All I can do is turn to what, what feels to be the most important intention for this moment now with no idea of what's going to happen.
0: Yeah. And what I get from that is that, you know, you've kind of realized that you're not running the universe. (laughs) Um, (laughs) You're not, and, and so, you know, don't usurp. A role which is not yours, uh, which even having such expectations is doing in a way, but kind of like fully surrender to the role which is yours, which will be shown to you in each stage of the game.
1: Yeah, and I, I did think we were a giant web, so it wasn't so much that, you know, my desire would play out, but I thought so many people were here to bring about a new shift, a new ecology, a new. New pol- political way, new ways. Of course, there are new ways, but there's yeah. so much destruction going on right now. It just, my ideal was just naive. Yeah, it wasn't what happened. Well, you know, it's
0: it's happening. I think, but it's got its own time schedule. Um, I was talking to Menos Kafatos this morning at breakfast. He's a physicist, and he was talking about um, scientists such as Stephen Hawking, who are kind of atheistic, and they they are it, there are certain things which bug the hell out of them about uh, what physics understands about the, the universe, because it, it, shall, it, it shakes their atheism. Uh, and I forget, I'll interview him and we'll get into it in detail, and I can't do justice to what he was saying, but basically uh, one of the principles was the sort of multiverse principle. There's, there's some things about this universe that we live in which are just so miraculously right and if, th- and if things were off by just one little iota, you know, uh, you know one to so many d- zeros yeah. difference, yeah. The, ho- the universe wouldn't work. And so it, it implies that there's an intelligence governing the universe, yeah. and this really scares people for whom that paradigm doesn't fit. And so they've come up with this multiverse theory that there must be like a f- practically infinite number of universes, and just by chance, like monkeys typing and uh, enough monkeys typing to produce uh, one of them producing Shakespeare. Just by chance, we happen to live in a universe which is kind of worked out. Uh, but, the, but so there is no intelligence involved. It's just uh, we're, we're kind of lucky. We lucked out that this one sort of works out of all the, the duds. Uh, but. What Manos and I were, were agreeing upon is that intelligence is everywhere, and if there are multiple universes, those are working out too and are governed by the same intelligence governing this one. And what I'm getting at in a, in a roundabout way bear with me, I had coffee for the first time in the year this morning because um, <laughs> I didn't sleep much last night because I got in late um, is he said that corporations. Uh, are actually kind of surreptitiously funding some of these atheists uh, who are espousing uh, this kind of uh, insentient, non-intelligent view of, of the universe. And we were thinking, why would they do that? You know, they, they don't do anything ex- except for profit, and so why would they feel that a propaga- the propagation of the notion that uh, we're, we're swimming in a sea of intelligence would jeopardize their profit in some way and the thought was perhaps that if if enough people wake up to that understanding based upon their experience not just philosophically it's going to produce a sea change in collective consciousness and if collective consciousness shifts sufficiently there are all kinds of very entrenched things which you and i would agree don't deserve to exist Which are going to have the rug pulled out from under them, and which will have a very difficult time existing. So I mean, so many aspects of our economy really have no purpose uh, uh, of any kind of, you know, benign in any benign sense. They're just destructive of life. I mean, the Keystone Pipeline, the cigarette industry, the alcohol industry. I mean, just the gun industry. So many things we could mention. You know, they're just destructive of life. And if consciousness were raised enough, they would have no reason to exist. And and Consciously or unconsciously, the, the perpetrators of those things perhaps realize that they're, they're being threatened by uh, a change in society which will, you know, I, I've gone on long enough, but... Thank, yeah. you for,
1: thank you for going on about hope and faith in a way. Because yeah. you're saying that as people, as more and more people recognize the immense intelligence, it's, it's mind-boggling mm-hmm. how everything works, how mm. a plant grows, how mm. you and I are talking how you even got, and I even got here. I Mm -hmm. mean, a hundred years ago, you and I would not know we exist. And Mm -hmm. here we are in San Jose, you live in Iowa, you know, (laughs) (laughs) talking about this. We're so fortunate. Mm -hmm. And as more and more people are in touch with the bounty and grace and just what can be created when we tune in to this the gift of life and the intelligence running everything and it is benevolent and I mean I've seen so many unexplainable synchronicities and goodness and that yes we can create human participation at large in a much different way.
0: Yeah, so you know what you were saying a few minutes ago about being kind of naively optimistic Uh, and you know, maybe Obama's going to do it, maybe this is going to do it, everything's going to change by, you know, such as 2012 or something like that. Um, Don't be, I'm not saying just to you, but to people in general, I I don't think we should, just because those, those, um, those hopes and dreams don't pan out on our timeline, Don't get pessimistic. No, a million years know. from now
1: is fine. I mean, well, this is just another. I'm not thinking way. a million.
0: I'm thinking in our lifetime. <laughs> there's still going to be a <laughs> massive change, good. and we're already we're seeing symptoms of it. And yeah. this, and and the pace of it seems to be accelerating exponentially.
1: Yeah. You know. There's a lot of good being grown. I've I've yeah. been feeling a little cynical lately, but I'm bouncing back right as we speak. Good. Good. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, the evidence is there. It's just this thing I said about the corporations. You know, even they're aware of it. Yeah. People who. You wouldn't expect to, to sort of be aware of such things are feeling, th- beginning to feel threatened. Yeah. You know, that's yeah. a good sign. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I mean, and we never uh, know
1: who's going to jump out of the woodwork and change their mind. I mean, somebody who's put themselves in a position to influence many or have power mm-hmm. I- in a way that is destructive can suddenly, that same degree of energy they're using, sometimes people switch, they flip, yeah. something changes them, and all that energy they've grown. Mm -hmm. It's suddenly used in the opposite direction for good.
0: Yeah, and and social changes sometimes happen quite um, abruptly. I mean, look at the fall of the Berlin Wall, the collapse of the Soviet Union, if those were beneficial Soviet, uh, well, they seem to have been beneficial, at least the collapse of the Berlin Wall, Uh, and, you know, it's like people People sort of have this, this, they take for granted that the world they live in is kind of the way it's always been and always will be. You know, but if, as you were just alluding to, it, if we're to. Go back a 100 years and look at what we're doing now today, and that jet flying over. Yeah. We think, Where am I? <laughs> this is like a whole futuristic thing, but you know, but we take it for granted. So, what might it be like 50 years from now, 100 years from now? Yeah, um,
1: I, I, I would love to imagine that it's a world where everyone has food, and everyone has shelter, and everyone has health care in every country, and everyone has freedom of expression, and everyone has a, an ability, and everyone is consciously considering kindness and care and thoughtfulness and respect among all species, an important value. Mm. That's so simple. If every single person, Mm -hmm. speaking of prayer and intention, if if for the next ten minutes every single person on the globe decided that was more important than anything, that could happen within 24 hours. I'm convinced.
0: Yeah, but they're getting pie in the sky again because <laughs> <laughs> everybody in the world isn't going to do that for the next 10 minutes. It's kind of going to grow in a more organic, natural way, and there yeah. there will still be people doing creepy things. But yeah. but there's kind of a. A groundswell that's growing.
1: Yeah, and sometimes yeah. when lots and lots of people build something together, the change comes later. My father and I were talking, he's in his 80s, so it's, I've been ta- making a point to talk to him more and more about his life, mm-hmm. because he won't be around forever. And he, he worked for the Kennedy administration, and he was reminiscing about um, Martin Luther King's march. Mm-hmm. and how it, it might not have happened and how it did happen and just the tremendous energy that came of that and the waves and repercussions yeah. years later. And so as you speak, I'm thinking about how when we really join together, lots of us with a particular intention, how it, it can abruptly shift something and that the goodness of that can come about wave after wave for years to come.
0: Ew. What was that thing Margaret Mead said about, you know, a small group of committed individuals well, you know, yeah, that qu- I know what you mean like yeah. the 100th monkey kind of, yeah, point, kind right? of thing yeah that kind of thing it's like that's what actually does bring about change it's usually not a top down kind of thing probably never yeah. where where somehow everybody at once does such and such like sits for the next 10 minutes and, but it's it's more kind of like a, a small percentage starts doing something and then the 100th monkey thing yeah. uh, it, it, it propagates and you know that gets us back to where we were half an hour ago which is that if that small percentage is working from a more fundamental level then they have leverage you know uh, whereas on, on, the, on the political level, on the macroeconomic level, those seem powerful to us, but that's not actually where the leverage is. Well,
1: isn't it true where you live in Fairfield, Iowa, with all the meditators, that the crime rate has went down drastically when all the meditation started?
0: Yeah, not just in Fairfield, but they've done all these experiments where they've, I was part of it, part of it, where we went to you know places like Iran just before the you know, the Shah left, and the you know uh, Nicaragua and, and certain trouble spots of israel, and there was a war going on with Lebanon at that time and they, and they did all sorts of statistical analysis um, and I mean, maybe they were using the research as a PR thing, but it, got, it actually got published in some peer reviewed journals, and, and the skeptics couldn't debunk it. But apparently, you know, there was a clear correlation between these large groups of people meditating in these places and reduction in war deaths and crimes and, and all kinds of other social indicators. And, you know, we're just sitting in a hotel or whatever with our eyes closed, so it's not like we were intermingling with the population and smiling at them or something. It was more like we were effecting a change in in an underlying field which propagated throughout the environment and resulted in, in a very organic, deep way, changes in behavioral patterns of the people who shared that field.
1: When I work with people, I now work in my home. I worked in offices for years just so I can be in a certain energy field. Mm. And if a lot of people report a similar kind of challenge at the same time, I look to any place in myself where I can make a shift. Mm. And I make the shift and I find that people come in and they make the shift. Mm. It's not, and I don't want this to be understood, I didn't make their shift. There's something about energy when we go to the deepest source of our intention, when we go back to that place of peace. Mm. Rather than talking about it or how are we going to fix it, that's secondary and that's needed, but fundamentally changing an energetic intention, and you have a group of people going to this deep peace, others didn't know, but then the research showed that many situations changed around that.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so I guess the one question might be, you know, what will be the tipping point for the world if we really want to see, uh, will there be a tipping point, or, or will it just be sort of a, a gradual, th- continual you know, change, or could there, could there come a time when, you know, we have a global equivalent of the Berlin Wall falling or, you know, Soviet Union uh, collapsing, you know, where, where there's just sort of this massive shift on a global level at a certain point when enough momentum has been built up.
1: And maybe there'll be a lot of, maybe by necessity a lot more community will start to happen. I know in the 70s and 80s I lived in lots of communities, communes, spiritual communities. Maybe by necessity physically Mm -hmm. um, that will start to happen, that people will have to rely on each other more in those ways. I mean I see that sprouting up. I've seen a lot of countries where people have started to create more community type living now. And maybe from those power sources, different uh, that kind of power that yeah, yeah. kind of peaceful power
0: mm-hmm.
1: all over more and more of those will give rise to something more global
0: yeah and uh, you know we're speaking a little bit hypothetically here but i think you know there are examples of this stuff happening yeah you know so it's not it's not entirely maybe it's like yeah. you know we it's it's building up yeah
1: mm. if you google intentional community there's a, a, a kind of new intentional community growing all over the maybe a resurgence of what was happening in the 60s and 70s and in many places in many countries right now.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, what else shall we touch upon in the time remaining? Um, We've been kind of going around the same point from various angles, but um, is there anything we haven't, any kind of angle we haven't really dealt with that you'd like to? Well, I do want
1: to just re-emphasize that if we want world peace, if we want new structures, if we want a different way of harmonizing with one another, it really does come down to how we interact within ourselves and thus towards others. Because th- there is a, there is somewhat of a war in each human, I think inherently, that we're born mm-hmm. with. There, there are aspects of each of ourselves that will not be preferable to others, and there are aspects to ourselves that will cause pain for ourselves, And so really looking to uh, honestly face, embrace, heal, be present with those aspects of ourselves. maybe just quietly. We don't need to tell everyone what they are. We can have forums and that can be healing too. Either way is vital, is to me very, very important.
0: Yeah, I mean to me it seems self-evident and I take it for granted, but individual peace is the, is the unit of world peace. You know? And we kind of looked at political reasons why there isn't peace here and there and, and economic reasons. And those things have their relevancy, as we said in the beginning, and perhaps things need to be done on those levels. But if things are merely done on those levels without individual peace somehow being established, it's probably a fool's errand, you know. It, it,
1: yeah, it becomes you know. philosophy and back to when I thought Obama getting in, it wasn't that I thought Obama would do it. I thought who I thought Obama was was I thought this is a reflection of where we a higher consciousness to. Yeah, yeah. so many people, and he will represent so many people and I'm not commenting anything on Obama I' yeah. don't even everyone's very complicated he's a human being, but I thought he's the reflection of so many something of us good is happening if, if he's different. getting in. Yeah, yeah that each of us is doing such deep work
0: yeah yeah, well, I don't know I was saying to Francis. Uh, Francis is sitting here <laughs> <laughs> Francis Bennett, um, that you know maybe maybe it wasn't you, but that you could you know you could put Jesus Christ in the presidency, and it it would still be a flop in many respects just be just because that you know the, the leader of any nation is to such a great degree governed by the collective consciousness of that nation exactly yeah um, that's
1: what i'm saying yeah. And so what what has happened since is, has to do with everyone, yeah, it's not where exactly. I thought everyone it's wanted to It's not some go. leader mm. can
0: do the whole thing. Oh, no, not at know. all. No. I live in Iowa, you know, and, and um, all the politicians come through Iowa, and we see them on a real nitty-gritty level, because it's the first uh, caucus in, in the country, and the first, you know, all that. So I've, I've had the opportunity to run into Obama three times now and ask him a couple of questions, and, and the last time I said to him, uh, I said, we love you, don't let the turkeys get you down. And he laughed, and he said, there's a lot of them out there, and they just keep on gobbling. <laughs> <laughs> he has a hard job. Yeah, <laughs> really hard. They, they say the presidency is like trying to drink from a fire hose. You know. It's, there's so much coming at you. Yeah. 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 But the the point for our, this interview is that the govern the, the, a leader like that can only do so much given the collective consciousness right. of the nation he's trying to govern. Yeah,
1: like. and so that brings us back to ourselves because, mm-hmm. of, of course, we like to think about the globe and society and the country. I do, but. I'm responsible for what I'm thinking, what I'm feeling, and how I'm artistically interacting with that.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, okay.
1: our, and, our, and what we are thinking and feeling, y- you know, a lot of people say, we can't control what we're thinking and feeling. We can't control it. But what our basis is, I've noticed in my body and mind, the basis of my interaction with the, with the universe, with the light, with whatever you want to call my source, with the source is affecting greatly the thoughts feelings and physical sensations that then go through me as a being mm-hmm. all day long and i consider them to be barometers and thermometers of what where am i embedding my deepest intention mm. so if my deepest intention is world peace which has to be personal peace my thoughts and feelings and the physical sensations inside me greatly reflect that and and This is not a popular thing to say because it can be misinterpreted as I'm blaming people for their illnesses, which I'm not at all. Because I did go through a a few years where I was severely ill and I didn't know if I would live. And it was very unexpected because I had a very healthy lifestyle. But what I learned from it, because I had to intricately interact with my own thoughts and feelings quietly in, in states that had contained very uncomfortable feelings, was my thoughts and feelings were very much affected by where I was embedding my deepest intentions. And little things I didn't notice throughout the day, little little conversations I might be having in my mind that were not peaceful, where I brought in other people into my imagination, would actually take place in my body as a sensation that could be very uplifting and healing or could be very painful. And a lot of the work I've done with people where they've experienced these deep emotional healings and said there's been physical results has come from that understanding that we're we're operating a machine our soul is placed in the machine and and all day long we're putting effects on it that's going to cause physical or emotional or mental turmoil or peace and once again i'm not blaming anyone for their illnesses we're all going to have emotional and physical disharmonies that we can re-shift by where we're embedding our basic consciousness and our intention
0: And you can be the most enlightened guy in the world and still get cancer. Some of so the Ramana Maharshi yeah. died of, of cancer yeah. and some of these other ones. So yeah. it doesn't mean that, you know, he, he did something bad Not at all. Or anything else. I mean, no. the body is the body and yeah. it's, it's vulnerable to yes. all kinds of things.
1: Yes, and the body has genetic imprints, and, yeah. but there's an opportunity regardless of the outcome. What I had to do is I had to interact with myself at deeper and deeper levels of what I, w- what I experienced as peace and my conversations had to be more and more positive and with everything my private inner conversations and I, I just kept measuring and noticing the differences in how i was experiencing life as a result of that that thoughts i might say oh these thoughts just pass through my mind but what i was focused on most of my time in my life affects the thoughts that are passing through my mind that's my responsibility then if i have a great life, or I have a challenging life, or I get cancer. Or I'm the healthiest person in the world. That's secondary. I wish for everyone to be healthy, and I wish for a great life for everyone. But, but going, just going back repeatedly to what what I am valuing beyond what I say I'm valuing proved important. Showed me that this is an instrument, a biofeedback instrument.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. I forgot what I was going to say, but um. Okay.
1: <laughs> and as everybody's shifting these biofeedback instruments, then we see a shift in more around us and what we perceive, who we attract, what's going on, what we think's happening.
0: Yeah, I remember what I was going to say, which is that um you know if 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 God, if you wish to use that word or intelligence, you know really is sort of omnipresent, the present, uh, then it permeates every cell, every particle of our being, and nothing is happening arbitrarily or capriciously. And another thought to throw in, if, um, if there really is a, a sort of a evolutionary purpose to creation, then ultimately everything is in service of that evolutionary purpose. And if it doesn't appear to be so, then you're just not zoomed back far out enough to to see the, the the perspective of that intelligence which is orchestrating all this. So I think this relates to your point where if, you know, various things that you go through and difficulties or illnesses or, you know, stuff that you find within yourself, all that is sort of um, uh, instrumental, ultimately, in uh, the... Evolution of this instrument—I think he used the word uh, instrument—to serve that greater purpose.
1: Yeah, instrumental is the word. Artistically, instrumental is the word. Mm
0: -hmm. And yeah, that's so well put. Now. um, Let's talk about animals for a minute, (laughs) because in our last interview, that's mostly what we talked about, and you and I kept going back and forth, and we couldn't agree. And uh, I thought about this over the past year, and you mentioned Ken Wilber earlier. You know, From what I have read of Ken Wilber, I like listening to him, I like his work, and uh, one of his things that he talks about is what he calls the pre-trans fallacy, and pre-rational trans-rational. And the way he describes it, as I understand it, is that... um, animals and children and, you know, have uh, characteristics of innocence and spontaneity and even wisdom uh, that seem very much like enlightenment. But uh, they're actually in a pre-rational stage of development and that um, on the other side of the development of rationality we have the trans-rational phase where you might find saints to take it to the greatest extreme who also have that innocence and wisdom and spontaneity. But they've traversed a whole range of of uh, development, which the animals and the children and whatnot have not yet traversed. And yet, the two can often be mistaken or interposed. Um, it can, you know, Christ said something about be like little children, or you won't enter the kingdom of heaven. Uh, but he didn't mean going back to a pre-rational phase of development. He meant, like, the, you know, in a trans-rational way, developing the kind of innocence and spontaneity that that children and animals um, display. So that that was my conclusion about your whole thing with animals. Is that I, I kind of felt like it, perhaps you were, um, you know, succumbing to the the, the pre-trans fallacy and, and a that animals have this sort of enlightened status. And I can think of rebuttals to what I'm saying right now that even I would agree with. So I'm not saying this is some kind of a put-down or an absolute, you know.
1: I understand what you're saying, that it could be sensibly concluded that animals are spontaneous and and children are spontaneous just because of an innocence, because they haven't developed through all the developmental stages, that at the quote-unquote highest stage, maybe a saint or a master would now exhibit this innocence, this spontaneity, but from a very different conscious place. But I would just ask people to stay in the question of do you really know who anyone is, and is it possible that a very evolved soul might show up in a giraffe, a person, an ant, and someone that looks quite evolved to you because they talk the talk, and you'll find that around all the kind of spiritual New Age seminars, satsangs, um, communities, some people talk the talk, and if you really watch what they're doing and what their intentions are, it, they're not so great. they schmucks. Okay, thank you. So,
0: <laughs> <laughs> Did you hear Barry Black's prayers for the, I just, like, for the White House? No. Absolutely. love that. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I'll send you that. Mm-hmm. But, um,
1: so, my experience, having talked to many animals and people, is that there's different souls and different states of evolution in all kinds of bodies. Okay. Plants, animals, people.
0: Now would you say that all animals, every squirrel, every whatever is some kind of enlightened being in an animal body or would you say that it, it's just something that can't happen and, and occasionally you run into them?
1: I would say no, not every animal is in that state, but all animals are in a more, they're in a more aware state of their connectedness to all life. Um, they're working at different levels of service or ego or, or something else, but more, all animals are in aware state of their connectedness to all life. No animals are fantasizing or imagining that they are separate, that their personality is all that matters, that their small world is all that matters.
0: Okay, I don't have a problem with that. I saw an article in the paper the other day about chickens being much more intelligent than we have realized. Yes. And did you see that? Not and
1: the chickens, but it's coming out about more and more species. The ravens,
0: yeah. yeah. And it was. I guess it was sort of, a, the implication was we shouldn't be putting them in these horrible little confinement coops, you know, and raising them as just sort of products, so they should be treated with compassion because they're more intelligent than we realize.
1: Yeah, well, it's, there's an anthropological question that if you go to another country and they have very different customs and you assume you understand and you're not understanding at all, the depth behind those customs, the meaning behind those customs. So what we're finding out more and more about animals is we don't speak their language. They're observing ours, domestic animals are. Mm-hmm we're not speaking all the intricacies. Their languages are just as complicated, their intelligence just as... I mean, whales IQs like are way off our charts, yeah. right? And I believe they're going to find that out about cats and chickens and rabbits and everyone in time. We're just not observant enough. If you observe any animal, they might... A cat will meow in so many different ways. They have a language. Mm. They have body language. They. We just missed it. We think we're smarter. I think we're probably at the lowest level of intelligence of most of the animals.
0: Well, here's where we start to differ. Um, and that's because, you know, when you pass through the rational phase, going from pre-rational to trans-rational, it's a minefield because you're given free will and, you know, you, you are able to separate yourself from nature and you, you begin to make choices and you can really screw up and we do as a, as a species. Uh, But it's just, it's kind of like teenagers, you know, which they're doing okay when they're little kids and then they get in the teenage phase they start taking drugs and doing all these crazy things and it's self-destructive and then hopefully they make it through that phase and get get a little bit more responsible again. So human beings are kind of like that. They're in the teenage phase. Uh, But that is not to say that animals are in the adult phase. They're still in the innocent children phase having not gone through their teenage years of, of evolution, metaphorically speaking.
1: Well, two things. I'm not sure that animals aren't faced with ethical choices. Animals contemplate, animals face choices. It is different than humans. And another I want to bring up is that I've been in a state sometimes where it is clear to me that we're actually not making as many choices as we think. And I know I'm contradicting something I said before, because I don't live in that state. And maybe Ramana lived in that state. And I'm very rarely in that state, but there's, sometimes I'm in a state where it's pretty clear that I have not chosen anything, mm-hmm. nothing. <laughs> right. However, in duality, I have to live as a responsible person, yeah. and I don't, that's a mystery to me, how these different states exist at once, but they do.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. In duality, in duality, you do make choices, you know, in, in a certain realm of creation where we do have egos, yeah. no matter how cosmic we are, and we make choices with them and face consequences of those choices yes. and, and so on.
1: Um, It appears that way from one perspective and then from another state in consciousness it appears something very different is going on, that there's a source that's floating through everything and Mm -hmm. has designed each being very differently and the being doesn't have so much say in what they are as we tend to think. I don't know that I could argue it. I can only observe the mystery and stay open yeah. to what comes into my consciousness.
0: You know what you were saying earlier about this being an instrument and refining the instrument and, and serving more fully with this instrument and so on. Um, as an instrument, you know, it's a very sophisticated compared to the, the, that of a chicken. You know, I mean, your prefrontal cortex and the whole the whole nervous system and everything is Far more sophisticated and, a, and a complex and evolved instrument uh, than, you know, that of a chicken, who just has this little garbanzo brain, and you know, and you know, very, much more primitive nervous system by comparison. So. But, you know, that is not to say that the consciousness of the chicken fundamentally is any different than the consciousness of Laurie and and all the rest, all the human beings. We're all one consciousness. But that consciousness, you know, uh, a phrase I've said a million times, we're all sense organs of the infinite. And there's the chicken sense organ, and there's the human sense organ, and there's the cow sense organ. And all these sense organs have different functions, and in a sense, you know, the eyes are no more important than the nose, no more important than the ears. They all just serve different purposes. So, on, on some level, all these things have their importance. Yeah, and, um,
1: and the Mayans thought that the highest stage of evolution, before you were not in a body anymore and you were in a star, was that you would be a tree or a plant, hmm. where you didn't make choices of will, you couldn't be distracted in any way. You had reached such a state of uh, awakenedness that you were just placed in a body that's completely supported
0: that. Hmm. I guess maybe I have a Hindu bias, you know, having grown up in, in, in spiritually speaking in a, you know, from in a Hindu thing in you know, a TM. I remember Marshy once saying people were asking about vegetarianism, he and was, he's was saying if you have to eat someone, then eat lesser evolved life. Oh. And so his perspective was that a cabbage is less evolved than a cow. You know, for instance, and so because you know, I guess uh, I guess it would be considered you know a greater sin to eat the 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 more evolved a life form, the the more of a a affront to to nature it is to kill it for you know purposes of nutrition. Um. Well,
1: I do know that in in India there are some religions where when you die you can have your body placed on a tower. For uh the Vulcan. animals to eat. Yeah, and I wish I could do that. I don't know if mm-hmm. I could orchestrate it. I think nicely. it
0: might go against California law. <laughs> it will. That's I put it actually. <laughs> <laughs> but
1: um, you know, it's it's wonderful how there's so many viewpoints and perspectives and we all have different beliefs.
0: Oh yeah. And you know, I'm and I'm aware that I'm not saying that I've got the truth here and um, you know, you don't or something. I'm just saying the differences yeah. in our perspectives yeah. make for some infre- interesting conversation. That. Yes, yes. You know. I appreciate that. Yes. Uh, but who knows what's really happening. I mean, uh, uh. okay, I think we've exhausted the animal conversation, mm-hmm. and I just wanted to touch on that since, you know, we talked about it so much in the previous interview. Um, so, anything you'd like to conclude with?
1: Just gratitude. Just really appreciate being here. Mm-hmm. Appreciate being able to share this with the people who are listening. Uh, appreciate. Um, Thank you for letting me go through my cynical wave (laughs) that Mm -hmm. came up this morning. I thought, why am I having an interview when I'm thinking these thoughts? Mm. But I think it was a good thing because I think that we all, or it can be used as a good thing because we all go through this. And Mm -hmm. now's the time that we can go deeper into our love, deeper into our gratitude, deeper into the question, what do we really wish to contribute to this planet that we all share?
0: Great. Well, thanks, Lori. Um, let me make my usual concluding remarks. Um, you've been watching an interview with Dr. Lori Moore uh, and this interview is one in a continuing series. Uh, there have been nearly 200 of them so far and uh, there will be 200 more or more than that if I have anything to say about <laughs> it. <laughs> uh, so you can find them all archived on batgap.com B-A-T-G-A-P um, There also you'll find Well, there's two ways of finding them there. Alphabetical listing and chronological listing. Um, I have about a thousand people, literally, on the waiting list who have either been recommended to me or have contacted me themselves. And I apologize to anyone uh, whom I have not yet been able to schedule. My my standard response to people is, oh great, sounds wonderful, I'd really like to do it and uh, I'll put you on the list and you know, don't hold your breath because it, it may take a while before I can schedule you but it's, it, it's by no means meant to be a sort of a um, judgment on your worthiness to be interviewed or the worthiness of the person you may have recommended to me to interview um, alright that was a bit of a diversion but I just want to say it the, uh, also you'll find on batgap.com a place to be notified by email each time a new interview is posted there's a tab there uh, a donate button, which, by virtue of which I am able to be at this conference today, so I really appreciate people donating if and when they can, um, and a discussion group. Each, um, each interview has its own discussion group in this forum that we've set up, and uh, the discussions become quite lively. One thing is, to see the discussions that are in there, you may need to register on the site as a way of sort of registering. Uh, somebody just brought it to my attention the other day that they that they went into the discussion for David Godman and didn't see any discussion, and then they registered and saw pages and pages of discussion. So we're going to try to fix that so that you can see the discussion even without registering. But in the meanwhile, if you go there, you've got to register to uh, to see the discussion. There's also an audio podcast. Uh, you know, people don't have time to sit in, their, in front of their computers and watch long interviews, but if uh, if you'd like to just listen to the audio, you'll find a link in every interview for the audio podcast. You can subscribe on iTunes, uh, and also I'll have a you know more about Lori on her page when I put up this interview. A little bio of her, links to her website, books, and so on. If you'd like to get in touch with Lori, you do sort of little sessions with people uh, over Skype as well as in person I do. A- and phone. And you're kind of an animal communicator. And we had a little session with you with. Uh, 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 you know, talking about our animals and the first one especially that you did was kind of uncanny I mean you, you came out with some stuff that would have been hard to guess okay. and uh, <laughs> it was impressive <laughs> so thanks for listening and watching and we'll see you next time next time's going to be soon because I have two or three of these planned for my during my visit here at, at the conference thanks